All right. Well, good evening. Yeah. Yeah. No one's listening at all. <laughs> good evening. How is everybody doing tonight? It's so good to see everybody fellowshipping. It's a it's a it's a good thing. Well, welcome tonight to those who are watching online, uh, as well as those who are here. We really appreciate you coming out. Um, just at the very outset, uh, Pastor Greg uh, came down with a little cold and uh, a man cold, you know, and so <laughs> now he, he had a cold, Rini had it, and he wasn't sure which direction it was going to go. And so he, um, uh, we made the call yesterday that I, I said, I've already pretty much studied chapter 11. I'm excited about digging into this a little deeper. And he said, go ahead and take it because I don't know which way I'm going to go. And fortunately, he's better today. He's doing, he's doing well. Yeah. So, um, so uh, in fact, he's probably watching online. So um, uh, it's good to be here tonight. This is a rich, rich chapter. Uh, last week, some of you were here. We did a, you know, the 30,000 the foot flyover of the chapter, just a really brief outline of what it was. And uh, today we're going to dig in a lot deeper. There's a lot of content in here. And when you, when you find a passage of Scripture, sometimes you want to try to have a point. And, and while this isn't necessarily preaching, this is teaching, but there are many points that we can draw out of this text that, is, that are in the text, not necessarily that I'm drawing out of the text. And so I think it's going to be a really good chapter. We're going to dig in deep tonight on this, and I uh, will pray the Holy Spirit works through. Just an update uh, real quickly on Bill. Uh, McClellan, we prayed for him last week. Uh, I believe the, the latest thing is that he's, uh, he's still continues to be stable. The physical therapist was able to get him to sit up in, in bed, which is, you know, miraculous at this point. So any little thing like that has really been encouraging. Um, uh, any, what, what other additional things? Oh, he, she, she was doing something to his, his right foot and tickling. I don't know what he was doing. And he kind of flinched away. And so those are good things, good signs. Um, the physical therapist and um, the whole team are just trying to look at the, uh, at this point, when you, when you get past the 72 hours, which is that critical window, then you begin to look down the road a little further and then a little further and to go, okay, where's, where's rehab going to go? When you hear the word rehab, that's a really good sign because that's, that, that assumes that things are going in the right direction. And so we're very pleased to hear some of those positive things. Jackie still needs a lot of prayer support, and uh, I, she appreciates the text. Um, I can't tell you how much she loves our church, and she wanted me to express that to you when I, uh, I texted her this afternoon. So that's a little bit of an update on Bill. I know we still have, obviously, I don't see George and Phyllis who are, who are a, a steadfast and coming, and they, they must be still recovering. Does anybody have an update on, on uh, the Libanatis? Okay. She's improving. Okay, good. Good, wonderful. But they're on the mend. I knew that, yes. Yeah, I knew that, yeah. So good to hear that they're doing better, doing well. There's so many things to pray for, uh, almost too many to name, but it's, it's good to, again, uh, lift them up tonight. So why don't we go ahead and open in prayer and, uh, and ask the Lord uh, to guide us tonight into over these requests. Father God, we, we love you. We thank you for being present tonight with us, Lord, as you always are. Uh, Father, we do lift up uh, Bill and Jackie tonight, Father. Thank you, Father, for your, um, your faithfulness in his progress, Lord. Um, we want him to heal in your timing, Lord. And we have exactly what we know what we want, but Lord, uh, you know what's best for him. 
every step of the way, Father. Be with Jackie, Lord. Give her, um, just comfort her. Give her a sense of peace that only you can bring, Father. Uh, thank you for the body that is surrounding them, Lord, and, and praying for them uh, because we know that clearly your, the prayers are being heard and answered, Father. Lord, we lift up the rest of those who are not with us tonight, who are maybe battling uh, COVID or battling any other illness. Lord, we lift up Pastor Greg as he's healing uh, from his cold that he's had, Father. Um, just be with those people who are not here tonight and, and again, uh, those who may be watching online uh, and might be struggling with something, Father. Lord, uh, illuminate this text for us, Father, as we, as we dig into this, Lord. There's a, uh, we want to stay true to your word and what it has to say and, uh, and hopefully uh, draw some things out of this text that will exhort us and, and, uh, and things that we can apply to our lives, Father. In your name we pray, amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 11 is where we're going to be tonight. And uh, again, last week we sort of did a just kind of a quick overview. We talked about, hit the bullet points, the major outline. And so tonight we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. We're going to go verse by verse for most of it. And there's, there's enough for probably three sermons in the first eight or nine verses. There really are. And so I'm excited about kind of going through this. And, and uh, I spent a lot of time this past week, but also this afternoon, I spent about four hours kind of digging in. And, and uh, one thing I love that, that one of my favorite preachers that teaches um, says is that it's John MacArthur. And he said, he says, I have a chair when I do my studying for, for scripture teaching. I have a chair that both leans forward and it leans back. And what he means by that is he's leaning forward and he's pouring over the text and over the Greek and over commentaries and over the treasury of scripture knowledge. And then he has a chair where he can just kind of sit back and process and let the Holy Spirit work and, and under, get an understanding of what's happening in, in the text and, and then bringing application to that. Uh, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting analogy. So I spent a lot of time this afternoon just kind of thinking about everything. And because sometimes we want to put things in there that's not, that are not in here, like, oh, you know, because you have a lot of gold, uh, you need to watch out for too many wives. You know, that's like your typical modern day sermon, but that's not what the text says. So we want to kind of go slowly, carefully through the text. And, and, uh, and so let's begin uh, with chapter one. Now, preceding that, we'll, we'll kind of just put your finger on that chapter 11. Preceding all this, it was the glory years, the golden years, if you will, the, the wisest king, King Solomon, the most lavish palaces, and the temple that was built. So it was this incredible movie, and if it were to, end, if it, if it were to have ended at chapter 10, it would have been just lovely. But God, there was a sovereign plan that runs through all of the Old Testament, and this chapter 11 was like, a, like hitting a brick wall at 60 miles an hour or having a tire come flying through your, you know, your building, you know? So, um, so we go from this, the, the paradise of, 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 of the glory of Solomon, thinking no one could possibly, you know, be wiser, and then to this. And so it's kind of an abrupt stop, and so let's begin with, with verse 1 here. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. We probably just stop there and go, all right, I get it. Moving to chapter 12. Um, along with the daughter of Pharaoh... Uh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither 
shall they with you, for surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. So if we stop right there, there's two things we want to look at as we get an understanding of what Solomon was actually doing. So he was obviously being disobedient to the Lord's commands, and we're going to look at those commands tonight. But there were two things that, that happened contextually that I want you to understand. Uh, one is that um, Solomon was given to lust. He wanted just as many women as he could get. But that is kind of the heart of the issue. And at the same time, there's a secondary issue, is that back in, the, in, in these times, uh, women were married and from different countries for um, uh, political gain or, you know, political positioning. So those are two key factors here. But as we, as we go through this, we'll find that it was his heart that was really the key problem here. Because a lot of people can say, well, that happened in the day and he was just looking to build his nations through these women and their, what they had. That's part of it. That is contextually true. Uh, but really, it was his heart that was following the women. So as we look at this, uh, as we look at verse 2 here, uh, as we continue on, just look at the end of it. Neither, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Now, if you will, tonight I, I want you to make sure you have a bookmark or a pen because we're going to do a little Bible going back and forth. I know, I, I know everybody's got their Bible, so I want to make sure we, we get pretty quick with this. But go ahead and turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Keep your place where you are. Deuteronomy chapter 7, and it's going to be verses 1 through 4. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, where we are is in, this, in Deuteronomy is, this is, these are the commandments that the Lord had given from the very outset, way, way back. And so we're going to kind of read some through some of these things, and you'll see why specifically what Solomon was doing was an error. So let's just read verses 1 through 4. I'll read this out loud. When the Lord your God, again, this is Deuteronomy 7, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote, to, devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy with them. This is the Lord speaking. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn you away, your sons, from following me to serve other gods. There it is right there. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and He would, quickly, and he would destroy you quickly. We're going to see that tonight. But I wanted you to know where the beginning was. And then just go real quickly over to Deuteronomy. We're still in Deuteronomy. Chapter 17. So Deuteronomy 17. So we're going back in time. And you know Solomon knew this. He knew the scriptures. He was wise. He knew all this stuff before he went in. So chapter 17, verse 17. And this is a section of the laws concerning Israel's kings. Verse 17 says, And he shall not acquire many wives for himself. Why? lest he turn his heart away, or lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. So right here in Deuteronomy, these are the 
very, at the very outset, these are the commandments of the Lord. And, and right there, before we even get past, you know, the second verse of this, of chapter 11, he's already, he already knows what he's done. He's actually broken the, the things that he's known. And we'll, as we continue on through this, you'll see that even the Lord spoke to him individually twice about this. And yet, as wise as he was, his heart, which back in this day was really the mind, the soul, everything together, turned. And so, so let's kind of continue on a little bit here. And, and again, we talk about, uh, we talk about these, so let, let's just all keep reading. Solomon clung to these in love. Um, verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And then right there at the very end, it says, and his wives turned away his heart. So the initial sin was what? He, was, he, he, he disobeyed God in having more wives and doing the things that he was clearly not, able, not supposed to do, right? But what of it? What's the reason that God gave that command? Well, if we dig a little bit deeper, right at the end of verse 3, it says, and his wives turned away his heart. It's as if the wisdom of God, it seems so clear to me, and it seems so clear in Deuteronomy, because it said it, we just read it. But at the same time, that's the reason why God had given that, given that command, and here, right here shows it, it exactly what God said would happen, happened. And there's the problem there is that it turned the heart. So um, as we continue reading, this is interesting in, in verse 4 here. For when Solomon was old, his wife... Now this is... Let me just pause right there. This is Solomon in his early years. He was good. And I don't think he just instantly all of a sudden became like in his older years. I'm going to gather, you know, 700 wives. and three. Yeah, I think it was a gradual, based on some of the commentary that I read, it was a, it was a gradual thing. That frog in the pot. You know, you put a frog in, in a pot and you turn the heat up and it doesn't really realize what's going on. And so by the time he gets into his, his late years, this is all beginning to occur. And so in his early years, probably followed the Lord. In fact, we, if we go back earlier, it does say that he was, five, he was not a man after God's own heart, but he followed the Lord. So this is in his old, his, when, as he's older. From Solomon's old, his wives, this is, here's what happened. They did, they physically turned his heart away after other gods. So right there, it's not that he just turned his heart away from God, but he tur they turned, they, the women, turned, and this is why the Lord said don't do this, they turned his heart towards other gods. So there we've begun a whole other layer there. It's not that they were just kind of, it's that he was going towards something. And that's, that becomes a greater issue. Uh, so if, let me just talk a little bit about something called pluralism. Has anybody heard the term pluralism? Religious pluralism? Pluralism is something like we think, oh, this is back then. They had, you know, obviously the statues and gods they sacrificed and all those weird things. But in today's current times, uh, in fact, there's actually a church in town that they, they practice pluralism. And pluralism is sort of like the universal church. Um, the Unitarian Church. All roads can lead to God. I've even had a friend of mine say, well, I like Christianity. Christianity is great. And I also like Buddhism. 
and I'm gonna, I take a little bit of this from here and because I like what you know this person said and I like this. That's pluralism. That's what was going on here. Solomon's heart was just not turned away from the Lord, but it was turned to other gods, which is pluralistic. And we actually have that today. In fact, you'll see in a lot of the contemporary New Age type churches, they call it progressive Christianity. It's basically pluralistic. They want their cake and they want to eat it too. And they want to pull in a little bit of Eastern, Middle Eastern stuff or Eastern uh, mysticism and bring it all together and, and have you, you know, chant things and, and go into, these, into, your, into your prayer dome and, and mantra something. That's pluralism. That's pulling in elements that are not in Scripture and, and other gods. So it's, sometimes it's really obvious, but it's actually going on. So we need to be guarded against those kinds of things. So pluralism is something that does occur. Um, so as we kind of move, in fact, let me just, I have a couple of verses written down in regards to pluralism, and because it's something that we can encounter today with other, even with Christians that kind of play around. Uh, John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Correct? Do we all affirm that as believers? Um, Acts 4, 12, and there, is, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We have to cling to these truths because if we don't, we can slip into the, some of the very same things that Solomon did. And just slowly your heart turns away, and then all of a sudden things begin to look good. And it's that frog in the pot type thing. So something to guard against. So let's continue on and see, kind of see how this is progressing here. Uh, let me continue in, in, in verse 4. I'll read it again. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true. W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, true to the Lord his God. There's the end result, okay? So his heart was turned away, his heart was divided, and then he also turned to other things, and that created, that. so the, the major sin here, yes, is idolatry, yes, it's, it's lust, but really the very ultimate, if you put all those together, they lead to something, and that is to have a heart that is not holy God's. That's huge. That's a big deal. So, it's interesting what it says here, and I, I, I alluded to this last week because it was a little confusing the very first time I read it, I have to be honest. It says, "His not wholly true to the Lord his God, comma, as was the heart of David his father. So I read that at first, and I'm like, wait a minute, I don't get that, oh wait, hold on, oh right, David his heart was holy and true to God. Now, when I say holy, I mean, I keep, I, maybe I should say fully, because I keep that, the word holy and fully, uh, holy, W-H. Now, David did sin terribly. David had, uh, I mean, he did egregious things, adultery, murder that stemmed from that. But beyond that point, his, his, he was contrite in his heart. He wasn't perfect till the end of his life, but his heart was fully he repented, that's right. His heart was fully aligned to God. His, his bend was to God, holy, fully, right? So that's the difference. And so what you'll see as we go through this chapter is that David is the mark, the standard of all of the kings. I said that a little bit last week, but we'll keep seeing this. It keeps popping up that David is the, he's the, the, the median, the mark, the waterline, whatever you want to call that mark that you set at. And so we'll keep seeing this uh, 
<laughs> it just it struck me funny because I was thinking as this is written, you know, I don't know where David, maybe was David, where was David? He was dead, but he's probably thinking, that's me again, you know, hey, there's me, you know, because we keep seeing it throughout here, but he was the standard for kings. And so that's kind of, a, if you had any confusion on that part, that's where it is. So for Solomon, let's go to chapter, verse 5. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And these are all really wicked, wicked uh, uh, false gods. And so right there, if we stop in verse 5, we look at verse 5, really that's the idolatry there, right? So his heart was turned. He, didn't, he wasn't fully holy to God, uh, holy as in fully. Uh, and then he was practicing idolatry, right? Um, so it really is interesting, the, the whole culmination of, of everything he did and every single sin that stacked up that led to his heart not being fully to the, dedicated to the Lord. Um, beyond, pure, beyond pluralism, it's kind of hard to say, um, is there's something else that we have to kind of guard ourselves against as believers, and that is idolatry. And so from the text, we see that it was damaging and what can happen when our hearts are divided. And so it makes me wonder the types of things that we can struggle with today. You know, what, what, are, what are the things that, that don't allow you to give your heart fully and completely to the Lord? What are the things that we do? What are the things that we entertain ourselves with? What are the things that take our time? Uh, you know, I, I know that anything we do, and these are common graces that we have, we can watch movies and we can get involved in political discussions and we can golf and we can fish, you know, but we know what, the, what Hebrew says about those things as we, as we walk in, in, our, in our path of sanctification and salvation. Those, we have two things that can really trip us up. One are encumbrances things that are just weights, heavy weights that kind of hold us down. Maybe things that aren't necessarily sins, but they're things that can detract us from giving our heart fully to God. Now, it might not be idolatry, but sometimes that's where it goes over to the sin because it talks in, in Hebrews 12 about the encumbrances, the things that just trip us up. We want to be able to run freely. That's like throwing baggage off. You don't want to run with, with you know, a 100-pound suitcase on your back. So those are the things that you want to let go of. But then there's the things that trip us up, the sins that ensnare us, or that entangle us, I think is the word they use. And those are the things that we really have to keep an eye out on. And there's things that, you know, how, do you, how do you occupy your day? What, is your, what are your viewing habits? What are your conversations like? What are things that can take away from the time spent in the Word and the time spent with the Lord? And, and oftentimes, if you do kind of an inventory, you know, we look and go, wow, that, man, that was something that, Maybe I was, maybe that's an idol to me. Maybe I'm spending too much time with that. You know, is my heart turned more towards that than it is towards Christ during the daytime? So there's a little bit of exhortation there from that as far as what we can do and what we can think about. And um, so it's, it's kind of uncomfortable in a way when I was think, going through this, I'm thinking, wow, what things do I do that maybe uh, do take away from the time that I could be spending doing something more profitable? And so those are challenging things. Um, so that's kind of something that was, I, I looked at this text and I thought, well, idolatry, that's not just an old thing that happened when, you know, when there were idols and golden calves and those types of things. It's something that happens today and it's something that keeps believers from being fully and wholly dedicated to God. So it could be anything like, like I said, financial gain, political rightness, trying to be correct in that, pleasures of this world. But if we go back to the first commandment, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn, but you could write down if you're taking notes. Mark 12, 30. 
And I talked about this yesterday, or I'm sorry, yesterday, last week. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means W-H-O-L-L-Y. All of your heart, all of your soul, holy, W-H, and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Now, had Solomon done that, it would probably be a different story. But he didn't do that, and that's what Jesus commands. Hebrews 12 says, lay aside every weight. We just talked about that, and every sin which clings so closely. I think it's really important that, that you know, the, the greatest commandment is that if we want to guard ourselves against idolatry or things that may trip us up or divide us, we need to really remain in that and, and, and consider what Christ said, that all of our soul, mind, heart, strength, you know, all, everything involved. And that's just not, you know, a lot of people think, uh, you know, when it talked about heart in here, when his heart was turned, uh, a couple of the theologians I, or, or scholars or whatever you want to call them that did a commentary, the word heart used in chapter 11 really meant all of the things that Christ talked about when he said that. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your body, everything together is who we are. And all of that needs to be turned towards Christ, leaning towards Christ, keeping our gaze on Christ, as it says in Hebrews 12. So there's a lot to be a lot to take from this, and we're not even, you know, too far into this, but that's really kind of what I, what I was looking at when I, when I saw the idolatry of that, is that there's so many times that we can do that, we can have things ahead. So let's continue on. So Solomon did what was evil, wow, that's a, that's a big word, in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, follow the Lord. And there it is again, as David, his father, had done. So there's David again. There's a high watermark, right? And so now as we go into this, get into verse 7 here, I think you'll find something interesting. There's a passage in the Psalms, I believe it's, I think it's Psalm 1, that talks about those who, I can't quote it, but there's, there's a... Per, what? Right. Right, so let's turn there because I'm curious about it because there is a progression. Let's go to Psalms 1. That's easy to find. Psalm, Psalm 1, and let's kind of read through this because I trust me, I, I'll tie this together in just a second. Psalm 1, verse 1. I'll wait till everybody gets there. I remember studying this a while ago, and there's a progression here. It says, blessed is the man who, number one, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, two, nor stands in the way of sinners, three, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And I don't remember what commentary it was. It might have been Spurgeon. It was someone that was trusted. It said there's a progression from, from observing sin and being a part of the world, and then the next step is to actually be in the world doing the sin and living that way. And then the third level is to be encouraging sin and sitting in that seat of the scoffers. And that's, if you go back to where we are, and let's look at verse 7, back in Hebrews 11. I told you you need to hold your place. <laughs> Part, was that? Oh, yeah, I was checking to make sure you're awake. Yeah. <laughs> How did Hebrews come out? That was the Holy Spirit, I think. <laughs> So in 1 Kings chapter 11, all right, look at verse 7. 
It says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. That's not just having your heart turn a little bit, and that's not just giving your part of your attention to other gods. That's enabling others to sin and, and worship other gods. So there was, it, it wasn't just like, oh, he had a lot of wives and he turned away and he didn't quite listen to the Lord. No, there was some severe stuff. We're not even at verse 7, and you can see what happened here tonight, right? And he had seven. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. So, so the amount of damage he did in not just, not just the idolatry in general, but the amount of damage he did from actually contributing that others, aiding and abetting is what they call it, I think, right? So that's just... Uh, he was not leading by example, Steve. That's exactly right. In fact, he, you know, so, so it's no wonder when we get to verse 9. Well, yeah, I conclude. Let's look at verse 9. And I think the first four, five words there explain. And the Lord was angry, angry. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared twice. Now let's pause right there. Let's just focus on that chapter, chapter nine or verse nine there. So hold your place. And actually, I'm going to take even further back. I want you to go find look at look for Joshua. Okay. Joshua twenty chapter twenty three. I'm having you go all over the place tonight. And I got these little tabs in my Bible, so I'm I, I'm Joshua chapter twenty three. Joshua 23. And I want you to focus on what, where it says, well, back in the, in the king, it says, and the Lord was angry with Solomon. Joshua 23, verse 16. I love how Scripture affirms Scripture. Scripture affirms Scripture. It, it matters because the Bible is a continuous book that all works together beautifully. So Joshua chapter 23 Verse 16, it says, If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. That's pretty early on. That's in Joshua. That's exactly what's going on here. So people say, well, why was God so angry? Well, God's angry because... That's the way the Lord reacts to something like that. And so there it was, that scripture affirming scripture. So kind of let's go back to, uh, back to uh, verse 9, and let's kind of move on. Now, the twice part is what gets me, because not only, in, in verse 10, not only has the Lord commanded this, and not only was it something that was very clear to Solomon, he knew this, but the Lord, the Lord spoke to him twice. <coughs> in his lifetime, not just looking back at scriptures. And so two, two passages here. Just, we're still in 1 Kings. Let's just go back to 3.14. So go to 1 Kings 3. And, you know, you, why are you having me go back and forth and back and forth? Well, because I want you to see how scripture ties into scripture so plainly. Pastor Greg does this all the time, and I love it, because it really shows a, 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 a continuity through scripture. 
So, 1 Kings chapter 3, and look at verse 14. It says, and if you walk in my way, and this is, this, is the Lord's, uh, this is the Lord speaking to Solomon. So the Lord's saying to Solomon, and if, the, the big thing is the if there, if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, and there's David again, then I will lengthen your days. Solomon knew that's, he said it right there. That's what, that's what would happen, right? Okay. Then we go to um, chapter 9, real quickly. Chapter 9, 1 Kings. Chapter 9, verse, I think it's verse 2. And there's a quite a bit. And here the Lord, like, literally appears to Solomon and is talking to Solomon, okay? So I say all this to say there's no excuse. He had no excuse, because even in his lifetime. So look at verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I've set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them. And then it continues down, and, and you can re read the rest of it. It talks exactly, very clearly what will happen and yet Solomon, through political gain, lust, the, the allure of women turning his heart, turned his heart against God. So, back to, back to verse, uh, verse 9, uh, who appeared to him twice. So there's the two times that we see that he's already come. So Scripture is talking about that. Uh, continue on to verse, verse 10 here. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. So then we get to verse, verse 11. Uh, you know when there's a therefore or a since, something's going to happen. There's a therefore. Um, so if you read, let's kind of read through chapter, verse 11 here. It says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, and here, this is the punishment aspect of it here, and the judgment. Since this has been your practice, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear. Now look at that word tear. It is symbolic because you'll see, you'll find that a little bit later on there. And that's not, that's not just like a, uh, I, I talked about this last week, it's not just a, a gentle removal. A tearing is a, a strong word and it was literally a ripping from, a tearing apart. But you have to understand that in the context here, this was all God's plan. It's how his plan was enacted and enabled through the failure of King Solomon. So this isn't like, and I, you know, again, God didn't go, oh man, I didn't see that one coming. Solomon, you're the wisest. I, what, really? I guess I'll have to come up with some plan B. No, this was God's plan all the time. He was sovereign through all of this. It's very important to understand that because we might see men failing and go through the Old Testament and get a little confused by it. But the entire thing is an even, steady, planned event by God from beginning to end. And we have to keep that in mind, okay? So uh, it says, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. If you're writing in the notes there, the servant will be Jeroboam, which we'll see a little bit later on in the chapter here. So uh, now here's where, here's where God's mercy comes in. And part of me goes... You should have just really let him have it. And I, but why'd you, why were you so generous? Look at, look at, let's read verse 12. Yet for the sake of David, your father, 
I will not do it in your days, speaking of Solomon's days in his lifetime, he says, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son, right? Which is going to be Rehoboam, if you're writing things down, Rehoboam. Um, However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son, which is Rehoboam, for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Now, it's not just because the Lord really loved David, although he did, but there was a Davidic covenant that was in place. And so that had to happen. So, so you'll see that as we kind of weave through this, that there's a reason this happened because the, the, line of, the line of the Davidic covenant is the line of David from which Christ would come. And that had to be exactly where it was. So as we kind of go through the chapter, you'll see where this all lines up. So yes, it is God's, God's mercy, but his mercy also is in line with God's sovereignty and his plan. So I think that was kind of interesting, that point there. So, so let's continue on here. Um, now, this part is, you know, we're, we're kind of coming towards, it's not really the end of the chapter, but it's getting close because I'm going to give you some summaries of the three adversaries. So the punishment is, God says, we're going to tear, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. And I'm going to do it, and there's going to be three adversaries that are going to give you a lot of trouble for the rest of your reign, right? And so, and one of them eventually will take the throne. So, if you look here, there's three. If you're writing notes down, there's three, and we can just kind of go through them uh, quickly. There's Hadad, H-A-D-A-D. Hadad, he had fled to Egypt as a young child. He probably may or may not have remembered it when David was king and had, was hidden away in Egypt. And then when he found out that David was dead and Joab was dead, then he thought, I'm going to go back to, I think it was Edom. I'm going to go back to Edom and return and reign there. So that's sort of his backstory. Now, he was an external adversary from another region, okay? But, but wreaked havoc, and we'll see in, down here a little bit further on Solomon. He made his life miserable. The other one was uh, Razon. And Razon, and that if, you, if you go down to look at verse 23, Razon uh, was a son of Elada who had fled from his master, Hadazir, king of Zobah. And he had gathered around a dynasty of uh, Syrian kings that would end up being trouble for King Solomon, for, for the remainder of King Solomon's, uh, uh, you know, thing. So, you know, as we go through these things, sometimes I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at a full chapter like this and go, there's so much richness in this first part. And sometimes you do get to a passage that's just simply letting you know what's happening and letting you know a little bit of history as, as to what sets up King Solomon's punishment. And so that's kind of what these three things are. There's three adversaries. And so that's who they were. They were both external adversaries. And then there was an internal adversary. But actually, let's pause and go to, go to verse 25. And this is talking about Razon, but it also brings in uh, Hadad. It says, he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. So for, for all the days of Israel under Solomon's reign and even beyond, these two were just a pain in the neck and part of the, the punishment, okay? Uh, and he loathed Israel and, resigned, and resigned, reigned over Syria. So that's Rezan. So just so you understand who those people are. Now, the third one is someone that will come into the picture 
soon, okay? And that's going to be Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam, he was, uh, he, he, he was from the inside. He was an inside, it was, this was an inside job, basically. He was hired to, uh, to work over and uh, run the, the slave trade, so to speak, the, the ones that were building things and do all that. And they found that he was, and Solomon found that he was a really good and solid worker. And so he kind of rose in the ranks within the system. Solomon not knowing that he would actually, Jeroboam would actually be uh, in line for, for possibly taking the throne. And so as you look through here, we kind of get into a story as we move along about Jeroboam. Now, verses, you know, 26 through 28, uh, I'm not, basically what I just told you, he was in charge of the forced labor, he rose up in the ranks, and then he decided, uh, what it talks about here, that he, there, he was basically, he went out of Jerusalem. Okay, if you look at chapter, or verse 29, excuse me, uh, Jeroboam went out of Israel, and the prophet Ahijah, a Shilonite, found him on the road. I'm just trying to picture what that would look like, just kind of walk along and, oh, hey, you know, and just intersected somewhere. And so the prophet came and found Jeroboam, obviously through God's perfect sovereign will and timing, right? And so, yeah, and so uh, he found him. And here's, here's, here's where it gets kind of interesting. Look at, look at verse 30. And, Elijah, and Ahijah laid hold of a new garment that was on him and tore it in 12 pieces. So he tore it, Right? There's the word tear again. He ripped it, he shredded it into 12 pieces, right? So that we've got a theme going through here. And it's just, it's very con con continuous through here. And then it says, thus they, and then now, now he begins speaking for the Lord. And so here's what he's saying to Jeroboam, right? So uh, it says, thus says the Lord, this is verse 31. So, oh, actually, let me back up. It says, and he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hands of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. And then look, in, does your Bible have a parenthesis in verse 32, in front of 32? Okay, yeah, so it's almost like a, just kind of, but here's what's happening. So, but he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem. That's the Davidic covenant. The city I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtaroth, the goddess of, and he goes through all those things and, and not walked in my ways, goes down. Then verse 34, it says, nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David. Again, Davidic covenant. So I want you to understand that. Part of tonight is really... Uh, it can get, we can kind of get in the weeds as becoming too his, like a historical lesson, but I think it's important to understand the context of what's happening here because it sets up the next chapter and the next chapter in the line of kings. And so, you know, sometimes there's a lot of application. There was early on. And so right now we're just sort of getting through a part where it's just kind of gaining an understanding of what's happening. Um, let's go down to uh, 36, verse 36. Yet to his son, now this is referring to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, okay? I will give one tribe that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Uh, there's a lot of uh, metaphorical stuff there. A lamp in Jerusalem, that's the Davidic covenant, the line of David, which Christ will come. So it, it's neat how the Old Testament really points forward. It always points forward to Christ, 
right? So let's continue on. Now, again, this is still the Lord. You know, this is the prophet speaking from the Lord. Um, look at verse 38. And if you will listen to all that I command you. Now, this is interesting. If you listen to all that I... Listen, I think I have, a, I have that noted. But if, if you listen to all that I command you and will walk in my ways, this is the Lord speaking, and do what is right in the eyes of my, by keeping my statutes and my commandments, there's David again, as David my servant did, I will be with you and build you a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. Now, just kind of hold your place there and go back to verse, or chapter 9 real quickly. Chapter 9, and look at verse... I think it's verse 4. Yeah, and you'll see a, a real parallel here. It's almost like, almost like a duplicate. Chapter 9, verse 4. And as for you, now he's talking to Solomon here. Before, we just, where we came from, he was talking to Jeroboam. As for you, if you will walk before me, as David your father walked, with the integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping statute, my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But, well, that continues on to say, that's to Solomon. But if you look and go back to chapter 11, right there in verse 38, it's pretty much the same thing. So here we go again, you know. We wonder if after we get into this, this new guy, if, if he's going to be able to, keep, to hold it together. So it's almost like a movie where you're like, oh, here we go, one more time, because he's saying what the Lord said. And then verse 40, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. Wow. But Jeroboam arose and he fled into Egypt to Shishkak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So what we have here is, if you get look at the whole picture of the chapter, even starting with you know, 1 Kings 1 to 10, Solomon good, Solomon did great, Solomon built stuff. Chapter 11, Solomon failed miserably in the in latter years of his life by his heart turning away from the Lord, not giving himself fully to the Lord. The Lord decides to tear apart the kingdom, which is in his sovereign plan. And then he brings along three adversaries, two from the outside, two from, one from the inside. The one from the inside who the prophet is just speaking to is kind of getting the same word, you know, and then he realizes what's going to happen. He flees because Solomon's after him, right? And then he's going to return at some point. So that's kind of where we leave off there. So if you look uh, at verse, verse 41, now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all of Israel was 40 years. And Solomon slept with his fathers, just for, so you know that what that means is he, obviously he died, he, he passed away, and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So in that chapter, we've seen this whole sort of drama. So I was talking to someone earlier, and they're like, wow, this is like a movie, it's crazy. You know, you think everything's going great, and then that happens in Solomon. Uh, but it's all under God's hand and provision. 
Uh, the chapter is very interesting. As we look forward at 12, uh, obviously Rehoboam, the son, is going to be in place and, and, and serving in that role, but, but the, the nation will be divided as it once was prior to this. And so, you know, some of this is very contextual. It's very historical. We need to know it so that we know that uh, God wasn't surprised in any of this. He knew what was happening the whole way through. Um, uh, his sovereign hand over all of the happenings of Scripture and over everything that happens in our lives is, is something that needs to be trusted. We, we, I mean, this past two years has been crazy, you know, and trying to figure stuff out on our own and wonder, what, 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 what is God, what's God doing? Like, what's God doing, you know, and why, is, why did this happen? And why did, we, why did I lose someone dear to me? And why, it makes you wonder, but there is a certain type of comfort in God's sovereignty. Knowing that it's out of our control sometimes can be of comfort. It may sound counterintuitive to today's standards and what the world thinks, because we all want to be in control of things, and you want to have your best life now, and you want to just take charge of this, and there's so much positive stuff going on that no one wants to deal with or talk about the hard things and how that God has a sovereign plan. We don't know it for certain things. We don't know why Bill, why he fell and hit his head. He's done that 100, 200, 400 times. We don't know this. But you can be sure that God will be glorified in this, even through man doing evil or accidents happening or natural disasters. Well, I think we need to really uh, take comfort in his sovereignty. And that may be really hard to say, because there I know there are some of you out here just tonight or those online that are really struggling with certain things. Um, and what you just need is a comfort that only the Lord can bring. Think about Jackie tonight. I know we have someone in the room that has lost a loved one, a couple people actually, um, people that are going through difficult times, your niece, you know, there, there's so many things, but, but trusting that as we see God's hand moving every step of the way in this Old Testament study, we're doing this fuddy-duddy Old Testament that we're going through. We started in 1 Samuel, that it shows that God is in power through the whole thing, and regardless of what happens, uh, he's always in control. Nothing surprises him. And I think that's really important to know. So I think tonight, one of the big takeaways is that God is sovereign. He, he has a plan. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes it seems counterintuitive, but it is there. Uh, the other thing, a couple other things I think that we pulled from the text, that were in the text, sorry, didn't we pull it from the text, but it was there. Uh, obviously, we need to heed what God has commanded in Scripture. Uh, when he said, he commanded it early on in the life of, of Israel, and you know Solomon knew these things. And not only did Solomon know these things, he was personally told these things by God in his lifetime, and yet he still failed. How easy it is for us to slip. You know, Paul says we carry or we drag this dead corpse of flesh on us, you know, and it's, it's constantly battling. We're at war. We're, the devil is seeking to destroy all the time. And it's the flesh, the world, and the devil, right? Those are the three things. But I think it's very important to heed God's commandments whether it's from the very beginning or the teachings of Christ or the teachings of Paul, everything that in, is in there really is God command, God's commandments. That's important because we see the damage that it did when someone just took a slight turn, you know. Well, I just, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I really like the teachings of this guy. I know he's a universalist, but, but just listen to what he has to say. Or I know he's from, you know, he's, he's a Buddhist in the background, but still, mm, we've got to be really careful and guard ourselves against those things. 
Um, I, you know, one of the big questions right now is do we have, that, 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 that I saw this, is do, do we have divided hearts? Is our heart divided? Is your heart fully and 100% wholly dedicated to God? W-H-O-L-Y. Um, are we, is every moment, you know, if the Lord were to come back tomorrow, would you have any regrets on what you did later tonight or what you did this past week or what you're going to, you know, like every step we, every step we make, everything we listen to, everything we say, we read, we watch, we do, every interaction we have, is Christ fully a part of that? Are you fully engaged? Is your heart fully bent towards him? And that's kind of, that's something we kind of, that's kind of a retrospective thing, I think. It's important to think about that. Um, finally, you know, God's, God's merciful, even in discipline. We see that through the Davidic covenant, God still held a line. He didn't fully just strike Solomon dead right on the spot. God is merciful. And, it, and even in Hebrews in 12, I love that chapter, but it talks about if we weren't disciplined, then we would not be children of God. For what, what stepfather disciplines his children? None. But, but we know that we are his, and even in God's discipline, there is mercy. Um, I'm not saying that all, you know, everything, is, everything is disciplined from God, but we are corrected by him. And we cer certainly, King Solomon was corrected by him, but he was still merciful during those times. So this chapter is, is uh, you know, it's challenging. There's uh, some exhortation in it. There's not a lot of fluffy, feel-good stuff in it, although we know that God is sovereign and there's comfort in that. We know God is merciful in his discipline. And I think we're also challenged to uh, truly take and examine our hearts and see where we are because we don't want to have divided hearts. There's a lesson in that, I think. And that's the overall theme, I think, of this chapter. Um, so um, why don't I go ahead and close in prayer? And then after that, we can always open it up for questions after the live stream stops, okay? Okay, Father God, we, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word, how your word speaks, how your word speaks to us even being 3,000 plus years old, Lord, or more, um, we, we know that there's truth in your passage, in your, in your scripture, Father, and that examples that uh, are given in the past from people that have followed you and kings and uh, the ones that did well, the ones that didn't do well, they're all lessons to be learned. Lord, let us uh, go this week and, and, and heed your commandments, Father. Let us take inventory of, of our time to make sure that everything we do is fully uh, fully towards you, that we are not divided in our hearts, Father. And Lord, thank you for your mercy, your mercy for uh, in discipline, but also your mercy that allowed us as uh, people, people that were at, you know, at enmity with you, Lord, that we have, you've made provision for us, Father, to be right with you, Lord, that we have opportunity to... Um, Lord, that you just simply you saved us. You are a savior. Salvation, we have salvation because of you, Father. And Lord, I, we love you for that. We thank you for that, Lord. Go with us tonight. Uh, keep us safe, Father. We lift up again, Bill, one more time, Lord, that you will just do miraculous things in his life. Be with Jackie, Father, as she's with him. And uh, bring us all together again uh, on Sunday to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.